All right. Thank you, choir. Please take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Psalm 78. Psalm 78. You can go ahead and mark your place there. We're going to be going some other places. We'll look at that in just a few minutes. We're in a series called Your Questions, His Answers. We've been in this series for, for a little bit. And last week we began answering the question, are we preparing our young people and, for young, and young believers for their destiny? And we talked about how God determined our destiny and he designed us uh, for our destiny and then we need to discover our destiny. And so the question is, are we equipping our young people uh, to succeed in the culture that's in crisis? But I want to follow that up this morning with another question. I want to kind of go a little bit further and that is, are today's young Christians... And probably should just ask it this way, are today's Christians truly ready to live out their faith in an anti-Christian culture? Are all Christians today, but especially uh, our kids, our grandkids, the children and students that come through our ministry, are they ready to live out their faith and to stand up for God in a culture that's in crisis. And the question I want to ask, what do you think would happen if we took a 17, 18-year-old boy, maybe from our church family, maybe from your family, or uh, there's not one in my family, but let's just suppose we took an 18-year-old boy from our church family, we put him in a godless, hedonistic culture, kind of like the one we live in, removed all his friends, all his family influences, surrounded him with continual sexual temptation from a willing admirer, a wealthy willing admirer, made him the victim of extreme hardship and provided zero spiritual support. What do you think the chances are that this 18-year-old young man would decide to honor God and worship and serve him no matter the circumstances? Our thoughts today are probably that that's probably not going to happen. But when we open the pages of Scripture, we find a young man named Joseph, the son of Jacob, and that's exactly what he did. He was, uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but there's interesting, I was reading a book a couple years ago by Larry Fowler called Raising jo- a Modern Day Joseph. And uh, there's another story. It's kind of interesting when you look at Joseph. He was a teenager. He just got to adulthood and he got taken away. But there's another story over in the New Testament. And what I want to do, Larry Fowler in his book, he compared uh, these two stories. And so I want to do a little comparison contrast between Joseph and the prodigal son. It's really interesting when you look at it. Think about these similarities between Joseph and the prodigal son. Well, the first of all, um, each story was about a father and his sons. Uh, the younger son, which was the focus in both stories, they both wound up in a far country. They both wound up in an environment that produced a great amount of sexual temptation. There was a famine in the land, and both of them wound up working for a citizen of that country. Now, both fathers believed they had lost their sons, and in each case, in each case, the elder brother or brothers were pretty disappointed and unhappy to see them again. And yet, the fathers were overjoyed when their sons were reunited. Some amazing similarities, but... Think of, listen to these differences. Joseph started off with nothing, yet the prodigal started off with the family fortune. Joseph received a great deal of evil that he didn't deserve, while the prodigal experienced, at least on the front end, unmerited favor. Joseph wound up with wealth and honor, 
And the other son had nothing but poverty and humiliation. One gained massive, massive amounts of wealth, while the other squandered the family inheritance. One began as a slave and became a prime minister. One entered the country as a prince and left like a slave. One son refused to commit adultery time after time after time, while the other son partied with prostitutes until he was broke. With honor, Joseph brought his father down to him, and the prodigal returned to his father in disgrace. Joseph exemplified godly wisdom at its best, and the prodigal, well, he modeled human foolishness at its worst. Would you rather have your grandkids or your children? Would we rather have the kids in our church that come through our ministry? Would we rather have them turn out like the prodigal or like Joseph? Well, I know the answer to that question and so do you. But just think about this. Fowler goes on to ask this question. Here's choice one. My child will leave home before he's ready, waste all his money and mine too on parting, sleep with prostitutes, end up with nothing, take care of pigs, Till he finally comes to his senses. That's choice number one. Choice number two, my child, in the most difficult of circumstances that he didn't bring on himself, will have integrity in his work ethic, will repeatedly say no to temptation, have faith in God through years of difficulty, respond to every situation with wisdom, become a respectable, capable leader, harbor no animosity to those who harmed him, and then provide for me. In his old age. Now, which one of those sons do we want to produce? Which one of those uh, sons do we want to come out of our family? Which one of those sons do you want your grandkids to be like? Uh, Which one of those do we want our kids, when they go through our children's ministry, they come out of our student ministry on the other side and they go away? Because one day our kids, and one day your grandkids, and one day your great grandkids, they're going to walk away. They're going to go away from their church. And they're going to go away from your house and they're going to go away from their immediate family and they're going to be thrust into an environment that is godless and hedonistic. If they go on some campus, I don't care if it's a Christian college or not, don't buy into that idea that that makes a great big difference because it really doesn't. But our kids are going to walk out of our house and out of high school and out of here and they're going to go, either they're going to go to work or they're going to go in the military or they're going to go to college somewhere And they're going to walk into a culture that is godless and pagan. And they're going to be confronted with temptation over and over and over. And they're going to experience hardship after hardship after hardship. And the question that we need to wrestle with today, do our kids, do my kids and yours, do your grandkids, do your great-grandkids, do the kids that come through our ministry, when they get through what we've done with them here, do they have enough in their heart? That when they get out there, they're going to be like Joseph. Or are they going to be so lacking in their spiritual development that they turn out like the prodigal? And that's a question that we need to wrestle with. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to tackle that subject and we're going to look at Joseph's life. Because I know that one day uh, they're going to have it. Now, listen, I understand the prodigal came home. A lot of people say, yeah, but the prodigal came home. Yeah, but it was a great cost. He squandered everything. 
And so he says, yeah, but you know, preacher, you can bring them up the way they ought to go, and there's no guarantees. You know what? You're right. There's no guarantees. But the odds are a lot better if you bring them up right that they'll go wrong than if you bring them up wrong that they'll turn out right. And somewhere, it depends on who you read, somewhere between 50 and 80% of our kids, church kids, church kids, are going to go off to college or go off to the military or go off to work. And somewhere between 50 and 80% of them, they're going to check their faith at the door when they leave. They're going to walk away from their church. They're going to walk away from their spiritual experience. And some of them aren't ever coming back. And so the thing we need to do as a church, and the thing we need to do as moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and even as great-grandparents, what we need to, we need to evaluate and we need to look at, are we doing everything we ought to be doing to make sure we raise up Josephs and not prodigals? Are we doing our part? Well, the Bible speaks to this in a number of different places, and we're going to look at a lot of them. But I want to start in Psalm 78. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to honor God's Word and read Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. Follow along with me. Asaph wrote this. He says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. That's parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and on and on. And they, in turn, would tell their children, now listen to what happens. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would open your word. And God, that you would speak a word of conviction into my own life as a dad. God, I pray that you would speak a word of conviction into my life as a pastor. And Father, that you would speak a word of conviction into our lives as parents and grandparents. And as church people and leaders, the tremendous responsibility we have to invest in the next generation. God, the church is a generation away from being dead. If we lose a generation, we lose our church. And God, I pray, Father, that this morning you speak a word of conviction into our life. That we would do whatever we can do to put what we need to put in the hearts of our kids and our grandkids and the kids in our Sunday school class or in our small group in Awana or or in our student ministry or wherever it is, that we do whatever it takes to prepare them to turn out like Joseph and not like the prodigal. So speak into our hearts this morning, Father, is my prayer, and we'll honor you and give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, Again, verse 7, and I want to emphasize it for just a minute, and then we're going to go to some places. But it says, then they, if, if we do what we should do, the scripture says, if we do what we ought to do as, as parents and grandparents and family leaders and spiritual leaders, then verse 7 says, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Now keep in mind that as a 17-year-old boy, Joseph was thrust into this godless, hedonistic, uh, pagan culture, surrounded by temptation, faced with extreme hardship, 
No spiritual support whatsoever. And yet, yet he honored God. He didn't just survive. He honored God with his life. And so what I want us to do this morning, what is it, what is it in Joseph that made him, enabled him to thrive in the middle of such chaos? What, what is it about him? This week I did a little survey. I kind of read through the life. I went through the life of, of uh, Joseph there and identified some characteristics that were present and evident in his life and uh, that were in his heart. And I want us to talk about those. And as we talk about them, we're going to evaluate it. Is this what we're focused on producing uh, in the lives and the hearts of our children, our grandchildren, and the kids in our church? And so let's just look at these characteristics. First of all, if you go to Genesis chapter 39, go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 39. Um, we're going to spend a great deal of our time over there in the book of Genesis this morning. But, but you'll notice first Genesis 39 too. Interesting uh terminology. Notice what it says there. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. By the way, he'd just been arrested. He'd been sold to Potiphar. But it says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, so here's what I want you to think about. The Lord was with him. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that he was saved. It means that he knew God as his Savior. He wasn't just he didn't just have a knowledge about God, but it, it says there that the Lord was with him and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now listen to verse 3. This is so interesting. It says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. Here's what's interesting. Joseph's Saving faith was obvious to the people around him. Joseph's saving faith was obvious to the people around him. And the question that we need to wrestle with is twofold. Number one, is our saving faith obvious to the people around us? Number two, are those children under our influence, whether they're grandkids or whether they're our own kids or whether they're kids in our ministry, are they saved? And is it obvious? Because it was obvious to Potiphar. Now, Potiphar wasn't a Sunday school teacher. Potiphar wasn't a preacher. Potiphar's a pagan. He's an Egyptian. He serves other gods. But you know what he noticed? He noticed that in this little teenage boy from Israel, he knew God. And God knew him. And so here's my question for your kids. Are they saved? And is it, is is there evidence? Your grandkids, are your grandkids saved? Is there evidence? Do people know that they are? Is it obvious? That they're saved. Or are we just counting on hoping, well, they go to church. Well, you know, they made a decision way back when. You know, when my son was eight, he made a decision. Is there any fruit in his life? Because there was fruit in Joseph's life. And, and that's a biblical principle. Do you remember over in Acts chapter 4 verse 13? Remember uh, Peter and John? They put them in jail. And remember what it says? It says they took note of them. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. So let me ask you this question. When people look at our kids and our grandkids and the kids that come out of our ministry, do they take note that they've been with Jesus? And so the highest priority in our life as a, 
as a parent, as a grandparent, the highest priority as a minister in this church is to help our kids get to Jesus. If they get everywhere else and they don't get to Jesus, we lose. The game's over. I don't care if they get the scholarship. I don't care if they're the valedictorian. It doesn't matter if they get the best job. If they don't find Jesus, we lose. And so here's the question. Are we doing everything we can as a church? I'm not just talking to moms and dads. Are we doing everything we can choir as a church so that the kids that go through that building and that building, when they walk away from here, they got Jesus in their heart? Because here's what bothers me. I'm just, I'm just this, this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to tell you this. We have to beg for people to teach our kids. We, we don't even have a second grade full-time Sunday school teacher for the second and third grade because people say, I can't commit but once a month. Shame on us. Y'all, shame on us. Look around. Our kids are going to die and go to hell. And we don't want to make a commitment. So here's what I'm asking you, church. Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we're all going to be accountable before the king one day. We, we better make sure they're saved. Hey, hey, listen, that's what matters most. Potiphar was a pagan. When he looked at Joseph, he said there was something different about him. You know what it was? He was born again because he was saved. Are your kids, are our kids born again? Because that's most important. Secondly, not only, that's the first characteristic. Not only was he born again, but notice, look down in, in Genesis 39. Look down in verse 8. It says, but um, actually pick up with me about verse, um, probably about verse 6. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told him, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, everything he owns. He is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not only was he saved, but Joseph was obedient. Potiphar's wife, I mean, she took note of him, that he was handsome. I mean, imagine, now we're talking about a 19, 20, 20 year old kid had been snatched out of his surroundings and planted in a country where he didn't know the language, didn't know the people, didn't know the customs, didn't know the culture, finally found a place where he was accepted, uh, came under Potiphar's rule, things were great, and here he is. Right in the middle of temptation. And for whatever reason, he was willing to say no to sexual temptation. I mean, you, we, there's this TV show called Cougar Town. Man, that's where he worked. Cougar Town. 
Every day he went to work. And here's this lady. She's wealthy. She has authority. And she says, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. How do you explain it? How do we explain that this teenage kid, this 19, 20-year-old kid, was able to say no, 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 day after day after day after day? How do you explain that? I believe there's only one explanation. In fact, Jesus talked about it. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Joseph, day after day after day after day, obeyed God's commandment. You know why? Because the love of God was in his life. The love of God was in his life. And so here's my question. Are we doing whatever it takes to cultivate that kind of love in our own life? To where we were willing to obey God even when it cost us something. I mean, it cost Joseph a lot to be obedient. But he was willing to do it because he had the love of God in his life. Church, imagine, imagine what would happen in our community if God's people, you and me, had so much love of God in our life that we were willing to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life. Imagine what kind of influence we could have. You think Potiphar noticed that Jesus was in Joseph or that God was in Joseph? Listen, the whole world would notice Jesus with us if we had enough love of God in our life to be obedient to him. And so are are we doing whatever it takes to love God that way? Are we doing whatever it takes to cultivate that kind of love in our kids and our grandkids and the kids that come through our ministry? Are we doing whatever it takes to create and cultivate that kind of love in their life? Yes or no? See, he he had an obedient faith because he had a loving faith. He had an obedient faith because he had a saving faith. But that's not all there was to it. Not only was he obedient, but let's look on down uh, through the scriptures. If you go all the way down to, um, uh, to verse 21, we'll look at it in just a minute. But the next characteristic that permeated Joseph's life was consistency. I mean, he was able to say no to sin over and over and over and over. And he determined to honor God uh, no matter what. I mean, he was going to honor God no matter what. And you know what he got? He got to go to jail. I mean, can you imagine if you're 19, 20 years old? Can you imagine what that prayer conversation must have been like between Joseph and God? I can imagine what it would be like with me if I was Joseph. I say, God, you brought me down here to Egypt. God, God, you, you let me be kidnapped. You let me come here. God, I did exactly what you said. God, why did this happen to me? God, I did exactly, I was obedient. I said no over and over and over. And God, you sent me to jail? God, why did you send me to jail? And that's what I would say. Chances are that's what you would say. Not Joseph. Joseph was consistent. He was faithful. Day after day after day. You read all through the account. Man, year after year, he was consistent in his faith. Notice what it says there in verse 21. It says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I mean, he was just consistent over and over and over. Here's what I know is going to happen to your kids. And here's what I know is going to happen to my kids. And here's what I know is going to happen to kids that come through our church. They're going to walk out of our house and out of our home and out of our church and out of our community. And they're going to go to where God leads them and they're going to go to where God sends them. And life's going to be hard. 
And they're going to face difficulty. And things are going to go wrong. And they're going to experience hardship. And they're going to experience trouble. And they're going to not get the job. Or they're going to lose the job. Or the relationship's not going to work. Or they're going to have some really weird professors. Or whatever it is that happens. And life's going to be hard. And the question is, are we putting enough in their heart so they'll be consistent and they'll stay with Jesus when times get hard? See, Joseph had a consistent faith. He had an obedient faith. He had a saving faith. But there's another characteristic that I want you to notice. If you go over to chapter 41, look with me there. I believe it is about uh, verse 38. Notice what it says. It says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, Can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? So if we fast forward a couple years, now just get this picture in your mind. Joseph said no to temptation. He went to jail. He gets in jail. He wins over the favor. He's consistent. He's faithful. He wins over the favor of the jailer. He's kind of got, uh, he's, he's got it good. I don't know what it would be like to have it good in a, an Egyptian prison 3,500 years ago. I don't know really how that would look. There's no air conditioning. There's no indoor plumbing, probably. There's no electricity. But he had it good. He was, he, he, however that looks. And so uh, the, you remember the story, the baker, the Pharaoh's baker and Pharaoh's uh, cupbearer come in and they spend a few days there and he wins them over and he ministers to them and loves on them and interprets their dreams and sends them out and they forget about him and two more years pass. And he's just being faithful. He's just being consistent week after week after week. And then we fast forward to the passage I just read and he's standing before Pharaoh and Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, looks at Joseph and he notices that he's filled with the Spirit. Why? Because he's saved. Why? Because he's obedient. Why? Because he's consistent. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in his heart and a pagan king sees Jesus and God and the Spirit in his life. He was Spirit-filled. And if we're going to matter for God, if you and I are going to matter for God, if we're going to make a difference for God, if we're going to minister for God, if our kids are going to matter and make a difference for God, it's going to be because they're filled with the Spirit. And the only way to be filled with the Spirit is twofold. Number one, you've got to be saved because if he, who, excuse me, he who has the Spirit has the life. And number two, we've got to keep on being filled with the Spirit day after day after day after day. And Joseph was. So are we as leaders and parents and grandparents, are we doing whatever it takes so that we're filled with the Spirit? And are we passing that on to the generations behind us? You see, he was Spirit-filled. He had a Spirit-filled faith. But that's not all. Notice uh, on the next verse, I think it's verse 39. Notice what it says there. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, what did he make known? He, He interpreted the dreams. He told him everything that was going to happen. So here's what's going to happen for seven years. Here's what's going to happen for the next seven years. Here's how you need to fix it. Here's how I would do it. Laid it out for him. And then here's what Pharaoh says. The plan, or excuse me, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Wisdom and discernment. Is there anything... Is there anything that our kids need more than wisdom 
and discernment. I, I, I don't believe, I, I'm just telling you, if we're going to send them out into a pagan culture, when they go out that doors, they're in one. When they go to the school, they're in one. When they go to work, they're in one. When they go into your neighborhood, they're in one. In fact, some of them, when they go home, they're in an anti-Christian culture. And if they need anything, they need wisdom and discernment. When they're confronted with relational issues and job issues and all those things, they need that. In fact, listen to Philippians chapter 2. You ought to, you ought to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1. You ought to get your pen out. You ought to underline this verse. Uh, see, mine's already highlighted there in my Bible. Listen to this verse. Verse 9, Philippians chapter 1 says, This is my prayer. Paul says to the Philippians, he says, This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now listen to this. Listen to this statement. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And then may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. One of the prayers that I pray for my sixth grade girl... That, that's one of the prayers. Is that she'd be able to discern what is best and then be pure and blameless. When our kids go away to college and they sit under the, the, the tutoring and the leadership of a pagan science teacher that's promoting evolution or a, or a political science teacher that's promoting atheism or secularism or humanism, they got to be able to know what is best. When they're faced with a decision about where do I go to college? Should I go to college? Should I go into the military? They need to be able to discern what is best. When, when they have a relationship issue, when they begin to date someone and, and think about marrying someone, they need to be able to discern what is best, not what's good, but what's best. And so what are we doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing to prepare our kids? What are we doing to help our grandkids? What are we doing to help the kids in our ministry so that they have wisdom and discernment? And so when they walk away from here, they have in their heart what they need to be able to say, that's wrong, not going there. That's wrong, not going there. Joseph was able to say to Potiphar's wife, it's wrong, not going there. I'm not sinning against my God. And so what is in the life of your kids? And what is in the life of my kids and and your grandkids and the kids in our church? What is in there? What moral compass are they going to have that says, this is best. And I'm going to be pure and blameless. I'm going to choose the best. And so what are we doing? As parents and grandparents and leaders, what are we doing to make sure they have what they need? Wise and discerning faith, a spirit-filled faith, a consistent faith, an obedient faith, saving faith. And then there's one other thing, and let's just quickly, and we probably don't even have time, but just go quickly to Genesis 45. We looked at this passage last week, but I just want to share it with you. Verse 5, uh, Genesis 45, um, let's start in verse 4. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you. 
to preserve you for a remnant and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of his entire household, ruler of all of Egypt. Joseph had a graciousness about him. And he was 30-odd years old here. For, mo- for nearly half of his life, he'd suffered. The, the consequences of his brother's choices. For nearly half of his life, he was snatched out of his culture, sold into bondage, kidnapped, planted in Egypt. Again, didn't know the culture, didn't know the language, didn't know the people, didn't know anything. And, and, and suffered year after year after year. And yet, he looked his brothers in the face and could say, You didn't do it. It was God's plan that sent me here. It was God's gracious plan that sent me here. And so Joseph had the grace of Almighty God in his life. And so are we teaching our kids? And I'm just telling you, I'm just convicted. I think about how I respond in certain situations. I'm just convicted that I need to do better at putting into the life of my kids, modeling for my kids, that kind of grace. He had a gracious, gracious, gracious faith. Now, moms and dads and, and grandparents and, and church leaders, let me just ask you this question. Where did all that stuff come from in Joseph's life? Where did he get all that? Because when you read the text... It really doesn't say, except when you go back to Psalm 78. Because verse 5 of Psalm 78 says, He decreed statutes for Jacob. Who's Jacob? Joseph's dad. And established the law in Israel. What did he change Jacob's name to? Israel. Which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them and even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God, then would not forget his deeds, and but would keep his commands. And so the, the, the issue is Joseph got what he got from the people in his life. Somehow, someway, the people in his life poured into him what he needed when he was this high. So when he got to be this high, he could live out what God's plan for his life was. And so, Dad, what are you doing to pour into the life of your kids so that they have what they need to have when they grow up and go out there? Mom, what are you doing to pour into the life of your kids so they've got a grandma and grandpa? Some of you got grandkids. Your kids have walked away from God. For some of you, you're the one influence in your grandchildren's life. You're the shining light. You're the star that's going to make the difference in their life. And so I'm asking you, what are you doing? If if this is true, if it's true that our kids are going to go out there into anti-Christian culture, and if it's true that, that what they have in their heart determines how they survive or not, then what are we doing? What are you and I doing to make sure they have everything they need? To be successful in a culture that wants to eat them up. What are we in church? As a church. What are we doing?
Are we so busy and so preoccupied with things in life that really don't matter that we can't provide for our kids the things that they need in their heart so when they go out there, they can be everything God wants them to be. See, they're looking at us as parents, as grandparents, and as teachers and leaders. And what they see in us, what we model for them, really says more than what we teach them. And so what are you doing? What am I doing to make sure they got what they need? Let's pray together. Father, I know that this, God, I, I, this is a, this is so important. God, we live in a culture that is so busy with so many things. And we've got so much stuff in our life. But God, if we're not careful, we will miss what matters the most. And Father, you know, you know what matters the most. And God, I pray that you'd convict our hearts so that we would know that what matters the most is that our kids get saved. What matters the most is that our kids have an environment where they learn to be consistent and obedient and gracious and have wisdom and, and being filled with the Spirit. They need an environment. They need, they need people that are willing to invest in them. They need parents. They need grandparents. They need church leaders that are willing to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that the kids under my watch have an opportunity to have what they need to be successful. And God, I understand. We, it might be that we do everything we can. And they may still walk away and never come back. But God, Father, help us. Say to us, say to us as dads. Say to us as moms, as grandparents. Even as teachers and small groups. Say to us, you got to do what you need to do to give them the opportunity to have what they need. And so, Father, I, I pray this morning, God, I, I'm just going to be very pointed. God, I pray that you'd convict our hearts. God, I pray that you'd point out in our hearts the things that we need to change. God, I pray that you'd point out in our hearts the things that we need to, uh, to do differently. God, I pray that you'd call out some men and women to say, I'm going to invest in the next generation. It doesn't matter. God, I pray that you'd call out some dads and some moms, some grandparents and say, I'm going to make the investment in, in that next generation. I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to put in the heart of the kids under my watch what I can so they have every opportunity to live for Jesus. And so, God, I just pray, I pray this morning, Father, that you'd have your will and your way in every person's heart and every person's life. And Father, when it's all said and done, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look at me for just a minute. We're going to, uh, choir's going to sing. We're going to have an altar call. I don't know what God might be saying to you. I hope he's challenged your heart. We can't afford to get this wrong. I mean, we, the life of our future as a church, as a Christian culture, 
demands that we get this right. And God wants you to do something and me to do something. And if God's stirring your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So let's stand together. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do as you stand. Uh, rather than sing along, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and just ask God. God, what are you saying to me today? Choir can sing for us. You don't need to sing. But I want you to pray and ask God what he needs from you today. And if God's asking you to make a commitment, why not say yes today? As the choir sings, you come.